Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new Sabrina Sessions right here on Receptopia. Happy Monday to you all as we recap the week that was for our favorite ship, Spencer and Trina, a.k.a. Sprina on General Hospital. I'm Keela Cash, and by my side, as always, is my co-captain, my right hand, my ride or die, someone who is also experiencing week four of Spencer bereavement. Yes, I'm counting down the weeks, like it's nine weeks of isolation all over again when Spencer did the bid in Pentonville way back in 2022. That was a time. Now we're dealing with presumed death, and it's been four weeks since our guy took a dip in the English Channel, nowhere to be found yet. But we know that it's going to change eventually, sometime very, very soon. Fingers crossed. Back on the sessions, as always, I bring to you Jasmine. Welcome back, Jasmine. Hey, Sheila. Hey, everyone. Happy Monday to you all. And I apologize in advance if I sound a little stuffy. I'm a little under the weather, but the show must go on because I had to be here to talk about all the things from last week. But uh, yeah, week four of bereavement for Spencer Cassidyne. That's crazy that we're doing this countdown. And it's interesting because it is actually going to be one of those things where it's kind of like, how long is this separation going to last versus the previous one? Like that's that's kind of interesting to keep track of that. Like, so I think it's interesting that you're keeping like an eye on it like that. So that way we can be like, okay, well, he was gone for, he was gone for three months in prison, but you know, how long is he presumed dead? And as far as like where he is, I'm going to say, I'm still going to say that thank you diversity that he is currently in that French nunnery being taken care of being the respect to health. So he could come back to his lady love. I love diversity. That is a running joke on this show. So every week we will do our French nunnery check-in. So this week, Spencer's getting um, sponge baths <laughs> by the nurses, the French nuns, I should say. And they're say. trying not to look down. And they're trying not to look down. They're trying to <laughs> keep their eyes up and trying not to focus on any excess baggage below because that is a sin. So they need to control themselves. Lust is one of the seven deadly sins. And they should not be lusting after this man who is taken, who is betrothed by one Trina Robinson somewhere in Port Charles. Ladies, do not try it. Hold on to your rosary beads. <laughs> Just saying, hands off the merchandise. But yes, our weekly French and honorary check-in is complete as we try to, like, you know, add levity to this presumed death storyline. It's going to be a time until Spencer returns. And I know it's going to be an epic reunion whenever it takes place with Spencer and Trina. So fingers crossed that I have a swooning and saying, oh, that is how it should be done in terms of soap reunions, which is another great trope that we have seen play out over the decades across our screen. So all in due time. But let's get to some business, shall we? In a new segment I would like to call the Port Chuck Report. Go around Port Charles and see how the people are doing surrounding Spencer and Trina's families so I can find reasons to be offended by their actions because I have a few things to say about Madam Mayor Collins because she irritated me once again this week, Jasmine. Me too. She always does. Always she will find a way to get on our nerves. So the source of contention this week is that Father Cyrus, or shall I say Chaplain Cyrus, is busy doing work at the PC Grill. And Anna Devane is trying to recruit Cyrus to be an agent of good, to help bust an arms dealer. 
and their quest to find out who's putting out mob pits on some families in Port Charles, not the five families. We're pretty much down to two families, the Corinthos and the Woos, that are being targeted by this supposed person putting out a hit on the mob. So she wants Cyrus's help to clean up the streets to make sure we can bring this person to justice. And he's wavering a bit saying, what can I do? I have my flock in jail and they're going to be suspicious if I'm trying to do anything, you know, to get them in trouble. So Laura shows up to be the voice of reason. And it's very convenient that Laura always wants Cyrus to do something. But anytime he comes around asking for forgiveness, for a little bit of love and support, she shuns him. But when Mm -hmm. she wants something, she's right there saying, Cyrus, you say that you want to be a change person. You need to do this one thing to protect the people of poor Charles. Can you do that one thing for your sister? And he's like, why should I because as I have done many times before I've darkened your doorstep according to you and I've been a disappointment to you as a brother so why should I help you at this juncture and she's like with everything I've been through with Esme and then what irritated my soul was that she had the nerve to use Spencer's death as a way to guilt trip Cyrus she yeah. got teary-eyed emotionally. Her voice hitched. Talk about Ed Spencer. Like, wait, so Esme comes before Spencer. Seriously. But then the waterworks turn on and say, Ed Spencer. You know how hard it's been since he's been gone. <sighs> and then Cyrus wears down and he agrees to do what's right for the people and for himself because he's trying to be a true man of the cloth. But I was so irritated by Laura trying to use Spencer's presumed death as a way to convince Cyrus to do something for the greater good. And I'm like, I'm so sick and tired of you talking shit about your brother, but always wanting him for a favor. Stop. Yeah, me too. I thought the same thing. And then I also thought to myself, why can't you leave this man alone? Like, you keep showing up at his job. That's so disrespectful. Like, that's mad disrespectful. You keep showing up to his place of business. Like, he is literally trying to do his job, and you keep showing up unannounced and expecting him to drop everything to help you. Like, do you, I guess, this is what I'm talking about. She's over here throwing her, you know, she's essentially throwing her title around. She's throwing herself around. Like, I'm the mayor, so I can go anywhere I please at any time of day that I want to. The manager of of the of the, uh, the the PC Grillas would not dare say anything to me for walking in here while my brother is trying to do his job because I am the mayor. But you know, Cyrus was talking to her and he told her that he goes to. Well, he was like, you know, he mentioned that he. I think it was. I think he was talking to Laura. I don't remember who it was that he was talking to, but it was because I yeah, I pay attention to stuff, but then I don't, and I remember I don't remember who says what. But uh, but I something that you know that struck me was him saying that he goes to Pentonville two times a week to deliver the, you know, basically to deliver the good word. And so I said, okay, that being said, I'm going to need the GH writers to write in some visits that he has with Nicholas then so that he can do like his own little updates. Cause I said, honestly, it'd be unrealistic for us to see Cyrus have like any further exchanges with Laura and he doesn't start talking about Nicholas. But when she started begging him to basically help save the mob bosses being killed because he himself used to be involved in organized crime Cyrus asked the right question. He literally said, where is the concern for me? Because let's be real, it's not there from Laura. And he literally reminds her, Sonny beat me to a pulp and put me in the hospital. And then I got irritated too when Laura was like, oh, she's like, I was, con- I was concerned for you at the time. But Keela, you said that she put Esme before Spencer. 
She also put Ace before Spencer, too, because she said, I was concerned for you, but at the time, Ace went missing. You were trying to find Esme and then Spencer. And I was like, no, you're not putting a guilt trip on Cyrus right now, because that's exactly what it was, because he starts apologizing to her. And I'm like, no, you were right, because Cyrus got beat down. As you said, he got his ass beat in that chapel by Sonny. You, as you quoted, I mean, really. And Laura doesn't seem to care about that. And not only that, but Laura says that she was concerned for him. But when did she confront Sonny about this? She didn't confront Sonny about what he did to Cyrus until until after Spencer had passed. That was like, and this happened before that. Like she already knew what he had done and everything. She should have done it sooner because think about it. Laura was the one who she was the one who actually told Dante that Cyrus told her that Sonny was the one who attacked him. So she's saying, I was concerned, but I'm like, yeah, you sure didn't act like it. But when he ultimately agreed to help, I was like, well, I was like, I don't, I, I, since he's helping you, you better not say a single word to him if he shows up on your doorstep again, because you keep showing up to his place of work and it's rude. It's very rude. And the fact is they come through when the damn restaurant's closed, mm-hmm. you know, it's not even five o'clock because according to the grill, they open up at five to 11, maybe or five to one. I don't know their exact time frame, but they're a late restaurant. Okay. They open late in the evening for the customers for their very fancy bougie dinner. And Cyrus has been upgraded from like dishwashing duty to he's now placing the floor arrangements on the table. He's <laughs> moving on up in the world. I'm proud of him. He went for mop and glow to get in the tables ready with pretty flowers. <laughs> so he has been able to elevate his standing at the PC grill. And we got Anna coming in, interrupting his workflow. Laura coming in, interrupting his workflow. And I don't blame Cyrus copying an attitude because Laura only wants to come around when she wants something and i'm glad he kind of checked her but then he folded saying yes i'll Mm -hmm. do it yes i'll help because he wants to get in his sister's good graces i totally understand that but these scenes to me as you said jasmine ace before spencer esme before spencer and then spencer can't even say how his life supposedly ended just Mm -hmm. and spencer the mascara starts to run just ever so slightly down her eyes. Mm-hmm. Where is the Maybelline eye protection for that? But I digress. So also around Port Charles and juvenile delinquent news, <laughs> Char- Charlotte has gotten her sentence for what she did to Anna. Vandalism, not burning down a house, but just straight up vandalism of the hotel and terrorizing Anna for months. And so Robert decided to give little Charlotte Webb 1,000 hours of community service and three years probation. Valentine, who enabled his daughter's behavior by keeping it a secret, was about to flip a table saying, oh, the injustice. <laughs> How dare you give my daughter such a harsh sentencing? Laura says, that's fair. So now, Laura, you're not going to buck the system after you had the nerve to try to buck the system for Esme just last month. But a thousand hours and three years probation for your granddaughter is more than fair. And Spencer did time. Two bids in jail. But Esme, according to you, she was a mother and she could not do any time. But Charlotte, oh yeah, that thousand hours community service, three years probation. 
more than fair. And she got up and walked away because she knew even then that was an argument she could not win because this sentence was more than fair, despite Valentine almost pitching a fit about it. I'm surprised she didn't say, Robert, she's a child. <laughs> no shit, Laura. She's a goddamn child. And I mean it's it's interesting to me the way that the way that Laura's position has changed on the, the Charlotte situation because she was so like on Charlotte's side and everything with all the stuff she was doing because she like I said she, she not just Valentine Laura enabled Charlotte's behavior too because she kept it a secret Valentine went to her and told her what she was doing he literally called her he called her while she was on her wild goose chase trying to track down Nicholas and what does she say? What has Spencer done now? He's like, nah, nah, it ain't Spencer. It's my daughter. My daughter's the one who's acting up. I need you to get on the plane and get here so you can help with that because uh, my, my, my daughter's tripping. Um, but, but then she comes and she really doesn't do anything. Laura really didn't do much. She didn't do much to help Charlotte at all, in my opinion. And the fact that she lied, to, you know, that she helped, she helped Valentine. She was complicit. Because she knew all the stuff that Charlotte had done. Valentine told her. So I, I assume that's probably why she didn't really say much when you know when Robert was throwing down what the sentence is. But yeah, like she she made sure that Esme had the proper justice served for her because she's a mother. But she was like, for my son being in prison, yeah, he deserves that. And my for for and and uh, Charlotte having to be uh, serving a thousand hours community service and three years probation, yeah, sounds about right. Like goodbye, I got somewhere to be. <laughs> I have to guilt trip my brother by invading his place of business again. But you, Valentine, you can have this fight with Robert. It's not my battle. I support justice in this case because my granddaughter did that shit, plain and simple. But. The same rule doesn't apply for the woman that you coddled for over a year. The selective outrage by Laura is very interesting to me that she's not concerned about her family doing some hard time and making some serious sacrifices in terms of consequences. But God forbid, Mother Mary, Mother of Grace, uh, she has to be free because she's a mother and she's d -d different, even in death. Mm-hmm. It's insulting. And Valentine's got the nerve to try to buck up on Robert. Sit your ass down. <laughs> Sit down. You're doing this because you don't like me. Well, actually. <laughs> he said, Robert said, you should actually be put in my part. <laughs> As an accessory to the crimes. <laughs> Technically speaking, father of the year, you are not. <laughs> Just accept the punishment and be thankful she's not going to jail, homie. Mm -hmm. be grateful because that could have been the alternative as well but charlotte is going to be doing some time helping the community which we'll never see by the way we'll no, we never won't. see her volunteer magically the thousand hours be completed when she works for lila's kids over the summer that thousand hours are going to pass by so quickly what collecting trash on i-95 unless you know? unless off screen the uh, valentine works some magic to negotiate some other terms for her Cause that, that's a, that's something that's quite something to write in for her to be on probation for three years, because that means she can't do nothing. Mm -hmm. and she can't she can't get into any kind of trouble. Miss my first battle wound. <laughs> <laughs> she can't get another one because if she <laughs> like, so you want more. <laughs> if she gets another one, if she catches another cap in her ass, she's going straight to jail. Like, did you instigate it? 
Battle wound got your ass back in jail. Which one you want this time? Hmm? Oh, my God. I can't with this kid. But, hey, she had to do the time for what she did, even though she's not going to get actual time. But time giving back to the community. And with that, this wraps up around Port Charles, the Port Charles Port, as we break down the ins and outs around Spencer's family, who still, last checked, ain't shit. (laughs) As we now get to our top story of the week, which is Trina's grief. And hashtag Trina's voice matters. An ongoing series on the Sabrina Sessions as we try to amplify her story in light of Spencer's presumed death. We know that this is a storyline that will not stick permanently, but during this time, we want to make sure that Trina's grief is on full display and that she has the time to explore all five stages of that grief every time we see her on screen. So last week we had her for about a day and she had about five minutes of airtime to express how guilty she felt about surviving the events in Paris and how she wished she was the one that died instead of Spencer and Ava basically talked her off the ledge to give her words of encouragement which was lovely so we get to Monday's GH and I watched the show mostly live and sometimes I'm on the road and I'm watching on the Xfinity stream app and I try to make it a point to make sure that I'm catching all of Trina's scenes I'll catch up on the rest of the show when I have a chance to do so but I was watching the opening and I thought to myself did we skip over Trina is her scenes getting cut because she was not a part of the opening segment I'm like what the hell is going on but thankfully we come back from commercial break and she is in the top of the second segment and she was opening every segment thereafter, which was nice to see. She's standing by the window in the beach house of Fort Curtis and she's holding her dove and she's thinking about Spencer, obviously. And Curtis rolls through the door after physical therapy and Trina checks in and she says he's making great progress and very soon he's going to be getting up. He's going to be out and about and they're going to throw the biggest party in the zip code to just celebrate Curtis's recovery and Curtis is like you ain't got to do all that for me I'm just happy to just to be able to walk and be healthy for my family and she kind of dies down her enthusiasm and he notices that something is still wrong with Trina and she tries to downplay it but he says you can't you know fool me you know if you got something that you need to say to express yourself please do so I'm all ears if you're not okay it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to express his feelings to me. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to shun you. I'm going to be a listener. And she asks a very important question. I think that all of us can relate to, do you really believe that if I say I'm not okay, how would you feel about that? Would you actually care if I say the words, I'm not fine? I'm not okay. Because people in most cases will hope to God that you say, I'm okay. I'm fine. There's nothing for you to worry about. And if I say the words, I'm not fine, I'm not okay, then the mood changes. They don't know how to handle that heaviness of what I'm giving out to them. And Curtis says, yeah, they'll check their watch, they'll look at their phone, they try to think of other things to do because they can't be preoccupied with your pain and your grief because that's above their, how can I say this properly, it's kind of above their bandwidth of how they should process what you're going through. 
And that's why we kind of hold stuff on the inside because we think that people can't handle our pain and we internalize everything. And sometimes that grief eats us alive. And Trina notes that if she lets go, if she falls apart, she might not be able to get back up and put herself back together. But Curtis encourages her to actually let those feelings go because if you do, that grief becomes toxic. It becomes a situation where it gets to your heart and that is the kind of pain that you can never get past and it's something that will always stick with you and it'll dim the light that's within you so you have to be able to fight through that and sometimes scream let it out cry be angry it's okay to unleash because we'll be there to catch you your family your friends we got you always when he went through a situation after getting shot he was like you guys lifted me up you had my back when I felt like I was going to fall apart so let us be there for you right now fall apart if you have to we got you and Trina does let go a little bit but she thinks that she'll never get past the sadness and the loss of Spencer's passing and she goes into a great parallel of how since Spencer's been gone all of the color in the world is gone and all that's left is just gray and it reminds me of the final conversation that at the time Spencer and Trina had at Spring Ridge when Spencer told her if you walk out on me my world will turn gray and it in fact turned gray the boy held a security pillow he was just depressed he was staring out the window like Trina did on Monday's GH he was sad he was lost he was like my world legit turned gray when Trina walked out of my life and he felt that way for quite some time and Trina feels that way right now that school doesn't matter art doesn't matter the Saboyne doesn't matter like it's sad that she doesn't care that she doesn't care about these things when she should. And she doesn't want to go back to PCU in the fall. She gets emails from the school saying, you're going to go back. And she says, I don't want to go back to school because what value is there in that? Spencer's not there. I don't want to go through the motions. Like she's a zombie. And Curtis encourages her, hey, if you don't want to go back to school, don't go back to school. But of course, we always wonder what Portia has to say about that. And Curtis is like, well, that's your mom. And eventually she'll come around because she's going to respect your decision. Whether you're young or old, you will always be her little girl, always be her daughter. And eventually she will respect your decisions in life. And, you know, Trina's just trying to find her way to happy to try to hold on to Spencer because she feels like pieces of him are slipping away. And all that there could be left will be the dove that he gave her. And we thankfully get a flashback to Paris when Curtis asks her about the dove because he wants her to share memories of Spencer when she feels like she's having a down moment. Talk to Joss, talk to her mom, talk to him, talk to somebody about her memories of Spencer, the good times they had together. So she flashes back to Paris when they share their doves in the hotel room and how they don't leave without them. And she goes back to how Spencer meant to give her these doves for Christmas when he got out of Pennantville, but he held off on it because their relationship was kind of tense at the time and he gave them to her late last summer and she loved them like she loved him and that's how we ended the episode and I thought it was a really great POV day for Trina beautiful nuanced performance by Tabiana Ali as I felt what she was going through because I've been through that process of going through grief and how you eternalize everything and you hold it in for such a long time and then it just bursts 
and you have that moment of release and it hurts like hell, but eventually you get to overcome it. It never fully goes away. As Ava said last week, it dulls with time, but it never fully leaves you in terms of the pain you feel over a loss. And that's very true. And I liked her being able to express herself and being honest that she feels numb, that she feels lost and that nothing really gives her joy at the moment. And I bet, and that's very relatable in terms of how you deal with grief and how you process it in different ways. And I love every beat that Tabby played on Monday because I felt that and I thought she did a very good job. And Curtis, you know, my thoughts on Trina and her two dads, one needs to be present, but for Curtis, he was all right. He served a purpose of being a sounding board, didn't judge her. He was a listening ear. He supported her decision not to go back to school immediately. And I appreciated that. But I'm going to go on the record momentarily about something that Trina did specifically. And it's a shout out to Yella because I caught that too. And I want this to happen for a big reason, but I'll get into that momentarily. But I want Jasmine's take on these scenes for Monday as we got about eight minutes of Trina having her opportunity to express her grief in a beautiful, fluid way. I love these scenes too. And when Trina walked to the patio door and the chords from Austin J's Things You'll Never Know started playing, I was like, why? Just why? Because the pain, but it's a beautifully tragic pain. All I thought about too was the way Spencer would be when he would be looking out the window when he was sad thinking about Trina. I thought the same thing and I was like, this is like, this really hurts. But as soon as she saw Curtis, she did what she does best. She turned into the peppy cheerleader and was doing this fake happy thing and asking Curtis how PT was. And obviously I know that she was genuinely concerned and she does care about, you know, Curtis and how it went, but she's putting on a brave face because she doesn't want her family to basically say, when is Trina going to snap out of this funk about losing Spencer? And like she you know, tries to make that joke about needing to cancel the caterer for the big party that she and her mom are going to throw for him once, you know, once he's up and moving around again. But of course, he can see right through all of that. And that's what he tells her, like, you don't have to hide your emotions from me, which is basically what I figured was going to be the gist of the episode based on that preview that we got. So I, I was expecting him to basically be telling her, like, you don't have to hide anything from me. But of course, Trina lies and says that she's not hiding anything. But I like, again, I love these because Curtis just let Trina talk and he listened. He gave her the space and the room that she needed to grieve. But that being said, it would be nice to see her allowed to do that in other spaces as well. And not just with Curtis or Ava. But again, as we addressed last week, Trina's grief has been siloed and Granny Laura and Auntie Alexis ain't shit. And since we're here, by the way, I was because I was trying to figure out how I would fit this in. And, you know, I, I think like I found my moment because I started thinking about Alexis and I said, so Alexis can write articles in The Invader about Trina's arrest for the revenge porn, Charlotte getting shot because, you know, gun control and Olivia Jerome's murder. But she can't write about her former assistant, Esme Prince, going on a jaunt to another country to stalk and kill her nephew and Trina. Choices. But I digress. Um, but, you know, when Trina was talking to Curtis and she said, when people ask if you're fine, do they really want to know? I felt that because it's true. We've all pushed our emotions down to the point when someone asks how we're, we are, we give the easiest, quickest and safest answer. Because we know if we tell the truth, people will be like, oh, boy, what did I do? Not sure what else to say at this point. Now that they gave me an honest answer, I'm just going to sit here and wait for them to finish. But I love when Curtis told her that she couldn't keep the hurt contained forever because if she did, it was going to turn toxic, toxic, and the grief would seep out and her light would dim. 
And I also found myself wondering if that was kind of like a moment of foreshadowing, like a bigger breakdown for Trina, because honestly, like if you look at her, she's kind of been subdued with her grief. But, you know, Trina not knowing what to do with what she's feeling is a natural thing. Like saying she's afraid that if she lets go, she's going to completely fall apart and won't be able to put herself back together again is a real feeling because we've all felt like that. Because it's like basically like if you let you have that fear of if you let the grief take over, then you're just going to be like, what What else? Where Where do I go from here? Like, that's how you're, you're basically going to feel. But I, too, felt that moment when she said, without Spencer, all the color in the world is gone. It's all gray. I think any Sprina fan who's been here for the, since the very beginning knew it was a callback to Spencer telling Trina at Spring Ridge during their 5011th breakup, if she walked out on him, that his world would turn gray. And I said, this is pain with a capital P. But... Um, Trina's conversation about school, art, and the Sorbonne was uh, was also important. And I love what she talked about all the emails that she's been getting from PCU asking if she's coming back in the fall because that's a real thing. We've all found ourselves in a place where we feel like nothing in life matters, but especially when we're grieving. So like we've we've all seen you know the life things that come about to us, like you know emails reminding us, which is basically like letting us know life is moving on. Like you, whether you know we like we don't care that this person just died, that you lost this person in your life. You gotta make, you still gotta make life decisions because guess what, life is still happening around you. And Trina's not ready for any of that. Like she's she's really not ready for that because it's basically like, if she, it's, it's almost like if Trina responds to those emails about going back to school, she feels like she's somehow letting Spencer down. Like she's pushing him away. Like basically, you know how she talks about how she feels like she's losing pieces of him every day. Like it feels, I feel like Trina was thinking, well, if I go back to school and try to go back through the motions of all of this, is is this me like not caring that Spencer's gone? Like, is this just me like p pushing everything to the back and basically like a way to forget about Spencer? Like, I could see that. Like, I, I could see her thinking that. Like, where she feels like if I just move on with my life, is it like is it like I'm just forgetting about him? But when she said that, when she was talking about not caring about things, and then she said it's not even it's not even that I don't care. It's it's I don't care that I don't care. And I thought that was heavy because, like I said, it goes back to her, you know, with what she said about everything being meaningless. But when she told Curtis that she doesn't know if she can go back to school and he said, don't, I was just like, Portia going to get you. And that was all I thought. But, you know, Curtis understands. He understands what Trina's going through. But Portia, on the other hand, she might not be so understanding about this. But um, I love when she said that she needed to find ways to keep Spencer present. And, um, like, I felt that, too, because... When she said that she feels like she's losing a little bit of him every day, I was thinking about how like we we all can relate to that. Like we all, if we've lost somebody, because when you lose someone you love, you do feel yourself losing pieces of them because you start to lose like the like the things like the sound of their voice, their laugh, like things that you can like remember. You, like you remember all these these things like these tangible pieces that you once had. Those pieces start feeling like they're like getting further and further away from you. And so Curtis tells Trina that she can keep Spencer's memory alive by talking about him with her mom, Joss, and him. And I just said, Portia, Portia, really, really, Spencer's uh, worst hater. Um, I wouldn't talk to my mom about Spencer. I'm sorry, but um, Curtis, you know, he asked her about the dove, and then we get that amazing flashback again where she tells the story of it, which was really sweet. But yeah, I thought it was a good day for POV for Trina too. Like I really enjoyed it because like I said, like it was just a moment for her to just have her moment to grieve. But like I said, I still feel like 
they're keeping it siloed. It's just like to a select few that she can talk to. And I hate that. And and I blame the writers for that because they just didn't even care to develop her relationship with anybody in Spencer's family. And that's unfortunate. It really is sad. And I did love the sing song of two turtle doves. That was really Me cute. Too. I love that. It was a really cute light moment and a moment of heaviness as she remembered the the symbolism of that cute little dove, big dove Spencer that still its name <laughs> for the notice until he returns home. But as you said, Jasmine, it's so true that she siloed at home. She siloed at the gallery and can only talk to Ava and Curtis and we'll get to Wednesday's GH because that was something. Because when we talk about toxic grief and if the writers were creative, if they really wanted to explore the depths of Trina's grief, then you have her go off on Laura and Alexis two women that coddled and enabled Esme for months to say she was a good mother. She was different. She was competent. She was responsible. These were the words they used to describe her. And Trina can roll up on both ladies and say, bullshit. She didn't change. She will never change. And she took your nephew. She took your grandson. She took the love of my life away from all of us. And you're still making excuses for her even in death. And that will be a great way to showcase the anger of that so they can hear what she's going through. She could only say these things to Curtis, to Joss, to Ava, but it's about the anguish of the loss, not the anger of the people that enabled all of this, not even going off on Heather fucking Weber that was a hook killer that was basically supposedly targeting people close to Trina, but she never talked to Trina directly as a veil threat in any kind of way, except trying to hook her on the haunted star during New Year's Eve last year. So all of this to me is choices by the writers not to explore all of the beats, all of the reasons why Trina should be mad as hell about what people did in terms of failing Spencer, in terms of not protecting him enough and ultimately protecting Trina when it counted most. So that's what I would love to see that play out under new writing, a.k.a. Patrick, for example, that can come in there and kind of clean this up in the weeks to come. Because quite honestly, I don't expect much from Chris and Dan. Like I said, I love what we got on Monday. That was lovely. It was great POV. But there's a way to dive deeper into that to really get into the depths of Trina's grief that can involve anger and should involve anger with a touch of revenge. Why not give her that shades of gray Maybe that'll come later. But the one thing I did want to touch on was the fact that she kept saying that she is losing a part of Spencer and she wants to keep some part of him somewhere, somehow. And I thought to myself, and I've been hearing this idea for a while now. We see the baby pictures all the time on the timeline. Hi, Ashley, how you doing? I see twins. I see babies. I see the vision for a Sprina baby in 2024 and maybe 2025. And I'm not opposed to that because I think to myself, if I'm writing this grief storyline for Trina and they have this amazing love scene in Paris and we saw bits and pieces of it and it was chopped and screwed. If that was the place of conception and they want to go in that direction, then let's go there. Because I would love to see Trina go through the process of finding out she's pregnant and Spencer's still presumed dead. 
and you're carrying this life, you're carrying a part of him literally inside of you. And you have to possibly, you know, raise this kid on your own with help of your family, obviously, but there is a piece of Spencer that is always going to be a part of you that is going to live on forever. I think that would be beautiful for talking to this baby in the womb about their dad, you know, in some way about, you know, the life he led and how he's still around via this new life they created together, born out of love. And I think that'd be a great beat for Tabby to play as well, to be a mom to be that is kind of going through the motions, but then you have this beautiful reason to carry on and to give your life new purpose that you didn't think of before. It's a surprise, it's unexpected, but it's totally relatable. And I will love that beat. And then eventually when he comes back, you get that reunion. He's a daddy and he's going to be the best dad ever. They're going to be the greatest parents to this baby boy girl and maybe twins in a perfect world in my imagination. So I will love that. I think it'll be a really cool storyline if they opt to go in that direction. They were dropping anvils, you know, a few weeks ago about Portia telling Trina, when you're a mother, you understand. So if you're going to go there, go there. I think the Tabiana can handle the material. It's something that would be a great way for Spencer to live on for right now until he comes back. We know how it works in soaps. He'll be back. But in the meantime, we can have Trina go through this process of being a mom and having a part of Spencer with her always via this child that she's carrying, this new life that she's going to be giving and, you know, providing for, for the next forever, in all honesty. So I would love to see that beat play out. It's interesting and it gives Trina renewed purpose that wasn't there before i think it would be a good storyline too if they do it right because like i know everybody's excited that they want to see a sprina baby and i wouldn't be opposed to it if it was done right but like you know obviously with under chris and dan who are out like i would be terrified if that was the direction they were going but if it's if it's going to be happening under patrick then i would hope that it's going to be done right but yeah because you know pregnancy storylines are they're a dangerous thing to do like they really are and like you know, if they're not done right and then especially when we're handling this with a black female because i mean let's face it when was the last time there was a black baby on general hospital so i'm just saying um if they do it right then i'm all for it but if they're just gonna screw it up then i'm then i don't want it if they're gonna mess it up i think uh, do i think taviana would be wonderful absolutely but like i said if they're not gonna do it right I would rather they don't. But if they're going to do it with respect, then I'm all for it. Absolutely. And on top of that, this baby's going to be rich as fuck, okay? <laughs> like, that's like Prince, Princess Cassidine, right then and there, the heir, the true heir to the throne. And, like, I want all of that for Trina, too. Like, honey, I run shit around here. Like, I'm basically carrying, like, the next heir, the next generation of the Cassidines, and I'm moving into Windermere. I want to be close to Spencer in every way. I got this kid coming, and I want to be around him in a more intimate way in his house where he grew up at. So I want them to go all in with the new writers in charge, with Patrick, who I trust way more than Chris and Dan, Elizabeth Corte, hmm. We'll see about it. But that is how you can explore that story respectfully and give Trina this new dimension in terms of motherhood and also building tension with her and Portia. Because can you imagine if Portia finds out Trina's pregnant, she'll flip a fucking lid. 
that's, oh my God, are you sure you're ready for this? What about school? What about your future? What about this? And then Trina can say, this baby is my future. And like, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for the challenge of motherhood. Yes, it's going to be daunting because Spencer's not here for now, but it's the journey of going into this process of motherhood and how to adapt to this in a brand new, fresh, interesting way if it's told right. And if the writers have a grasp of how to tell the story, it can be great. And we just went into the reasons why if you just go there, you can tell all of this surrounding Trina's grief and introduce the element of pregnancy and motherhood and boom, that is months worth of story for Trina. And then Spencer comes back and they can join in on this journey together towards parenthood. And he has to step up and really think about his career and think about his future in that way and how they plan to really rule their kingdom if they choose to get married, which I hope they do. That's more story for them as well. And you rebuild the Cassidines bit by bit. You get Nicholas out of prison and there you go. It's so much story for the taking and it's not a lot. It's like basic one-on-one storytelling that should be easy to do. But for some reason with the writers we used to have, they had a refusal to do so when it was so easy because apparently they don't think that a young black woman can lead a story like this when she can. Hey, Trina Robinson, black heroine, Yes, she can, and hopefully she will with new writers, a.k.a. Patrick, that can do what needs to be done, showcase the story in a good way if they choose to go in that direction, and above all else, amplifies Trina's voice by getting her out of a silo in her house and in the gallery and in a restaurant, which we'll get to on Wednesday's GH. Speaking of Windermere, can we start a new hashtag, Windermere Watch? Because... (laughs) What the heck is going on with that house? I mean, really, like, does Ava still own it or not? Because I'm so, like, I'm so confused about what happened with Windermere because she was, she had Lucy helping her try to sell it, and then they had somebody, but then she, I forgot the whole, all the logistics of everything that played out, but then people are breaking in. Esme, excuse me, Esme breaking in, and Dante shows up, and she's like, oh, I still, it's still mine. So it's like, uh, it's just an empty castle right now. Like, who, who, I don't get it. Like, what are, what are we doing? What are we doing with Windermere? Because we just had a repass and everything. They had Spencer's repass there. So obviously they're still, the obviously Windermere is still owned by Ava. She still got it. So I, I, none of this makes sense to me. Like, they go back and forth. They treat Windermere like an Airbnb at this point. <laughs> they really do. They really do. They do. <laughs> it's like, it's open seasonally. <laughs> you and know, start written it out for parties, <laughs> special events, weddings, funerals, repasses, whatever you need. Windermere is there to provide a service. Okay, it is a national historic site, and now it is used for events, weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, parties, whatever you want. Windermere's got it for you. So I guess the only guy that works there is bootleg Alfred, huh? Car pet though, they'll have to lock that door because <laughs> you'll have yes. lawsuits. <laughs> yes, in fact, board that shit up actually, board up that top floor. <laughs> oh my gosh, no, I just thought about something. I'm like, if anybody knows about Nicholas keeping Esme in the North Tower, people will be rolling up, like, can I see where Esme and Prince was kept? <laughs> oh my god, the kind of variety we don't need. Like, can you take us to where Esme was? Oh, my gosh. I heard she's an urban legend, and I just want to know where where it all happened. Yes, this is where she burnt up her room. 
when she lit up Charlie Brown's Christmas tree and said bet. And then almost fucked it up for herself because she thought, how could I possibly get out? I don't know, bitch. I don't know. You can still smell the smoke up there and the new paint that Nicholas tried to cover up the crime Mm -hmm. with. Like, oh my God. So yeah, I actually don't want that. Mm -mm. No, I I don't want that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. No, we don't. No. Mm-hmm. But they really do need to do. They really do need to figure out what they're doing with Windermere, though. I hope Patrick comes in and is basically like, put Ava back in Windermere. Yeah, get her out. Of, get her out of Sonny's penthouse. Yes, please. I beg. I plead. I ask of thee. Let's put that Windermere set to good use. Y'all renovated, obviously. You got new paint. Got new right? furniture. Yeah, y'all redid it recently, new so flooring. obviously you still care about it. New flooring. Still got those weird ass towels. I don't know what the H means, but hey. I don't either. It ain't for Hilton, so I don't know what it's there for. (laughs) So, you know. But yes, bring back Windermere. Make that like a landmark that we should celebrate. And like I said, if need be, move Trina there. You Mm -hmm. know, she is going to be, you know, a princess one day. Lord willing, and she's got the next heir potentially, and I want all of it. I want her. I want her to have the house, the man, the kid, the title, the life. So, get to it, new writers. Fingers crossed on all of that. Just wishful thinking on my part, but I just thought about like you know her wanting to keep a part of Spencer, and she was kind of pointing at the tummy, and Yella was on Twitter saying, "Hmm, stork alert, stork alert, stork alert." I'm all for it. So, let's do it if it's done properly which is the key thing. Don't do it for the sake of doing it and then fuck it up because that would not be cool. And then we'll come back here and have a conversation about it. And to me, I need this to be done respectfully and with some integrity in mind as well as we get to Tuesday's General Hospital. So after months, months, take that back, over a year of Curtis washing Miss Wu's money, Curtis wants to confess something to Portia because Jordan wants to get him in on this investigation as to who shot him as the mob is on alert. Somebody is gunning for mob families and they're taking shots and they're not missing. They assassinated Olivia Jerome. And for reasons we got people crying, Carly, why girl? I don't know. Morgan penguins. That's all I got. So that was random. We got like articles written about her. Like it's a big loss in the community. Like what the fuck? Like Alexis, Olivia basically had Julian put a knife to your throat, but you're like, oh my God, Olivia's death. Whatever. But she was throwing shade talking about gun violence and basically not really caring. Yes. All of that too. Just weird. So in the midst of all of this, Curtis is kind of, kind of take a step back doesn't want to be in this investigation wants to be you know their first family keep them safe don't want to get them involved too much by diving too deep into this investigation so Jordan leaves and Curtis notes that he has never felt closer to Portia than the last few days when he offered her a ride on Valentine's Day it was a very mediocre ride I must say but it was a ride nonetheless but he had a confession to make that once upon a time he used to work for Miss Wu by washing her money because she had the poker room at the back of the Savoy and Portia was shocked 
because now she knows why Miss Wu was at her house last fall delivering fruit baskets and flowers and offering her condolences and encouraging Curtis to get better. And her reason why she wanted to buy the Savoy was because she wanted to run that poker room full time. And Curtis went into their relationship and he said, it's over. The business is dumb, but I feel like it's only fair that I reach out to her because I don't want her to be a target. And Portia's like, this is dangerous. Our family's in danger. You're deep when you're in the mob even indirectly, it's hard to get out. Are we safe? Are you safe? Look what's happening to you. Maybe the hitman's gunning for you again after missing Sunny the first time hitting you accidentally, but maybe this time you will be an actual target in his quest to get rid of everybody that's in the mob, even you. So I did like the fact that Curtis finally copped to being mobbed up to a point at Club Rico last year, and I thought that Portia had a very reasonable reaction to it all. But now in death, can you apologize to Spencer? Because he didn't do nothing wrong. You try mm-hmm. to lay the blame on him. Your family, your uncle, he did this. You did this. Like, no, actually, Curtis invited trouble at his door by legit having Selena Wu doing trouble via the poker room at his club. And he took a payment willingly from Brad the night before his wedding last year as well. He didn't turn down that money. He didn't give it back. He took it. So, like, he willingly was in it, reluctantly to a point we was taking payments, no doubt about that, until recently. So, I'm glad that's out. It's long overdue. I liked Brooke's performance of just selling, like, yeah, this is one thing you should actually legit be scared of, because the mob ain't no joke, especially when you got somebody professionally trying to take out the families one by one. Mm-hmm. I... I was just laughing about Portia because she was just in all those good spirits serving Jordan snacks because she had finally gotten to hop on pop. And I just know she was thinking, girlfriend, you are no longer a threat to me in my marriage because my man put it down. He did not. (laughs) Um, But when Jordan was filling Curtis in on the case and telling him that they found out Sonny was the intended target, all I thought was, weren't you and Jordan supposed to be working together on this? Why haven't you been keeping each other in the loop? It makes no sense to me. And all I thought was, it's just another flub in storyline by Chris and Dan because they were teasing that Jordan and Curtis would be working together, but nothing happens. Jordan's been off on her own working with Anna and Brick while Curtis goes back and forth to PT. Um, Jordan was talking about making Curtis a consultant. And I said, how? What does Curtis actually do now? And I mean, I'm, I mean, I was asking this as a real question because we never see him at the Savoy, you know, the Black-owned business that is his. We don't see him doing anything with law enforcement. Like I said, he's just stuck in the house or he's at GH, and that's the truth of it. But, of course, because Curtis and Portia are doing better now, he all of a sudden turns down Jordan's offer when weeks ago he was determined to solve the mystery of who shot him. But after Jordan left and Curtis confessed to Portia that he was washing Miss Wu's money, I was actually really shocked by that because when you know when we saw the spoiler for him you know admitting something to her i honestly after the conversation that he had with trina i thought oh my gosh she's probably gonna be him telling her that he told trina not to go back to pcu like i thought it was gonna be like the most basic thing that he was gonna tell her i didn't think it was gonna be that you know that he was that he had club rico going on in the back but when he said when he told her i was like oh 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 my gosh he told her because i wasn't expecting it because gh drags things out like molasses so I was not expecting that at all. But when he said that he needed to warn Selena about the mob hits, 
Portia was really like, what for? Let her ask it cap. She tried to take your club, our family business. And I said, and then I actually was kind of like, is it still his club though? Because you could have fooled me. I'm like, the man is never there. And the lack of color I've been seeing all up and through there is kind of glaring. Because I said, Spencer and Trina, for example, you know, the daughter of the owner has had not one date there, but you know who had more than one. Mm, let me stop. Um, but anyway, Portia expressed her fears to Curtis, you know, about his life being at risk. And she talked about how they had all this, you know, they've been basically they've been fighting since they since they've gotten married. Like that's basically what she was saying. She's saying like it's like they're you know they had their own fights with each other because of like the paternity stuff and you know him they were trying to find their way back to each other and him getting shot. So it's basically like how are we supposed to live a normal life? Like she's basically saying how are we supposed to have our normal white picket fence life when you're back to being collateral damage? And I said yikes, Portia, but she's not wrong because. You know, like I said, it's just, it, it, it's, you know, I don't know what they plan on doing. Like, I don't know if, I, I don't see them having someone go after Curtis again. I think that would be stupid. But, you know, the, the whole thing was, it was honestly a, kind of a reminder to me, too, about, like, the situation with her daughter's best friend's stepdad being a crime boss. Because I'm like, um, the guy she dates worked, well, he worked for the crime boss, and so even if Curtis wasn't necessarily involved in the stuff with Miss Wu, all of these things would still make everybody in, you know, their family, you know, quote unquote, collateral damage. Like every single person of them has, every single one of them has some kind of tie to somebody. Like I know that, you know, they, that Sonny and, ha you know, he has his own separate life and whatnot, but like, just like, just, you know, the proximity of the people that are in his life his stepdaughter and you know his stepdaughter you know being Trina's best friend those are all things like that, that put their family in danger regardless but yeah I was really 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 shocked when he told the truth because like I said I did not expect it at all and then I just thought to myself finally now we can get this moving I was pleasantly surprised too like I cannot believe he actually was honest about this and I was like about time this was sorely needed we needed movement on this storyline it's been going on for nearly two years, and it's about time he finally spoke up about this. And Portia had the proper reaction, which was nice to see. Like, mm -hmm. here's a reason why you should be scared. The mob is no joke. It is a serious threat. They, they could come for you if things get really dicey. So that's a nice element now. My concern is they're going to lock Trina down even more at Fort Curtis. You know, like it's dangerous. Oh, Jesus. Yes, my concern. They better so, not. <laughs> Hopefully this is a minor issue moving forward, but yeah, it was an, a pleasant surprise to have this issue addressed. And I thought that Portia reacted naturally. It wasn't over the top. It was kind of right in line because the mob would scare me too, in all honesty. So we'll see how they progress after their um, less than spectacular lovemaking the <laughs> week before, as Jasmine alluded to. And I was surprised at how hospitable Portia was to Jordan, considering everything. Like, come on in, girl. You want something I, to drink? I, I told you snacks? why. L listen, she's overselling. Did you see the looks they gave each other? The little side glances they gave each other? Mm -hmm. I was like, y'all didn't do nothing. Y'all didn't do nothing. Okay. <laughs> nothing was turned out. No waterworks was ignited. No flooding of basements, nothing. Let's not lie and say he laid the pipe. In fact, the pipe was kind of broken. Just oh saying. God. I'm just <laughs> saying. 
the plumbing was not tended to on Valentine's Day. It's still kind of clogged, all right, in certain areas because you couldn't rotate the wrench. But I'm going to leave all that alone. Enough puns with plumbing and pipes and things like that. When things weren't wet as they should be, they were quite dry. It was like a non-water main break. Nothing was gushing. Nothing was flowing. Just dry. Dry. Like the Sahara. But I digress. As we get to Wednesday's General Hospital. Now you know it's sad that we predicted this. We predicted that Trina would have her POV on Monday. And we will be pleased about it for the most part. And she got eight minutes of airtime to express her grief. She opened every segment outside of the opening of the show on Monday. And I'm like, hey, that's good. That's a good day. I talked about it on the timeline. That was a good day for Trina's Voice Matters. But then for Wednesday spoiler, when we had Trina encourages Jocelyn, we could smell the bullshit a mile away. And we didn't have to dive too deep to figure out how this would go. It was as predicted because Trina got a grand total of two minutes and eight seconds on Wednesday's General Hospital. Let me say that again. Two minutes and eight seconds on GH Negro Wednesday. Mm. And all they talked about was Trina once again talking about how there's no joy, there's no light, she feels nothing, you know, for her education or her family or friends. And Joss says, are you sure about that? And she says, yeah, I mean, I love you guys, but you know that feeling of what it used to feel to have that joy, that's missing. I can't recapture that right now. And then, of course, Joss brings up Oscar, who died several years ago, and she went to his fucking meadow, and she cried for a couple of months and ain't been around there since. But, hey, equating their deaths, why not? And then we have Trina who is going through an actual loss because she mentioned to Joss that that feeling of seeing Spencer physically fall into the water and disappearing, that physical, actual visual is jarring. And she lost Spencer in that moment. And she said, I am not the only one that's lost someone. You lost Dexter. And then we cut away. And we don't come back for a while. Mm-hmm. It's just hanging in the air because the show has the nerve to try to equate Spencer's presumed death to Dex, who ran like a bitch, essentially. <laughs> he took his ball and ran away to parts unknown to join the mob witness protection program because when you're in, you're in and you fully can't get out. And Sonny told him, Hey, if you want to save yourself from elimination, literally in this life, I need you to run like Simba run and never come back. (laughs) And that's exactly what Dex did. He ran his ass to, to Mona Puma. He did. He did. He found two new friends and he's somewhere in the jungle singing and shit. (laughs) <laughs> and he's cooking chicken piccata. Maybe he's singing chicken piccata, Hakuma Matata. Maybe he is. He's making it rhyme somewhere in the in the jungle. And he's, you know, trying to figure things out. And 
I really hated this dialogue of trying to equate these losses as if they're equal when one left voluntarily and one left involuntary via presumed death. So we cut back eventually and Jocelyn tells Trina, oh, there's some things I can't share with you about Dex. <sighs> like Spencer was right all along that Dex was a rat for Sonny, that he was a mole, that he couldn't be trusted, that he was mobbed up. That's the truth you're withholding that you knew about this for almost a year. And you was trying to protect that truth, protect your great love. And how dare Trina be in on the truth that you're withholding because this friendship is so fucking imbalanced. And then Trina says, that's okay. That's all right. Anything I can do to help. So once again, you're keeping your best friend in the dark about things she should know about because she tells you everything she literally told you about her grief but no that's not enough so why dex gone i can't tell you that i can't get into those details i'm sorry trina like it's pathetic how this friendship is so uneven and so we get into where could dex possibly be so we think that this episode was aired out of sequence for these scenes in particular because the conversation is kind of muted. Joss is not as animated about Dex being MIA. It's more like the first time Frank took Dex out of the gallery and it's like, where is he right now? So it's kind of like they left the gallery with the Charlie's Pub, had this two-minute conversation in GH time about Dex's whereabouts. And Trina brought up the security guard that worked for Sonny and that in turn that Dex works with as well. And maybe they know something and then Josh says, Trina, you're a genius. I have a way to figure this out by asking Spinelli for a favor. How convenient. And so we have Trina offering this encouragement now saying, you find Dex and you don't ever let him go, okay? So she leaves and Josh goes over to Spinelli. And Spinelli has the nerve to tell Jocelyn my condolences to you about losing Spencer. Trina was there earlier, dude, like minutes ago, and she is the actual girlfriend that needs your condolences too, but you can walk your ass over there to say that, but you can tell Jocelyn, I'm sorry for your loss, and then she says thank you. But anyway, about Dex, can you help me hack this phone? Can you help me find some security guards that work for Sonny so I can figure out what my guy is? And Spinelli is willing to hop right on the case. Now, the reason why I'm upset about this as well is because now we have Spinelli being a selective hacker that magically has his ability again after he couldn't hack cell phone tower for Trina nearly two years ago when she needed the help because we had to prop criminal mastermind Esme, who was smarter than the PCPD, the FBI, and noted professional hacker Damien Spinelli. So all of this was just a gigantic waste of my time as a viewer. And the only thing I loved was seeing Trina being incandescent and beautiful with the sun shining in and just glowing up her skin beautifully. Otherwise, as expected, as advertised, as we thought it would be. This was an absolute wasted Trina day. Her POV was absolutely shrunk. And it was a day of propping Joss and this guy that willingly left her and his dog tags behind as a remembrance, as if they're on the same level as the dubs, which they are not. But once again, the, the agenda is agending and it's not a good look. And this is another instance of when Trina's a talk to and her grief is taking a back seat for someone else's grief 
who doesn't even measure to hers realistically because her loss is not death. It is a guy that willingly ran for his life. My notes on this episode are very minimal because it was a very minimal day for Trina. And I hate that we were always right, but we were right about this from the moment we saw the spoiler that we knew what this was going to be. But when we saw Trina talking to Joss in the first scene about Spencer, all I thought was, okay, well, the writer said, all right, let's get that Trina Spencer talk out of the way so we can jump to Joss and her pain about losing Dex. And I got very irritated when they had Trina say, we're both going through it about Spencer, because I was like, no, not the same thing. Look, I get it. Spencer and Joss were friends, but their friendship was more like frenemies, okay? Especially in the later stages. They didn't really start to somewhat try to turn things around until later on. But I wish that the writers would acknowledge the attitude that she had towards him. Because like I said, when everyone was honoring Bobby, what I appreciated was the honesty of the moment. I appreciate that Lucy and Laura, that they all mentioned that they ha did not have the best relationship with her because that made them real. Having Joss float around like she was the greatest friend to him is disingenuous. And not only that, friends fight. It happens. Air it out. But they can't because it makes her look bad and she has to look good like her mama all the time. But when we get to the decks of it all and Joss says, I can't tell you why Dex left, but it has nothing to do with our friendship. And Trina said, tell me what you can. That was annoying because Trina has been telling Joss every single detail of her relationship with Spencer. She even told her about the fake evidence that Spencer got from his uncle Victor, which again, what was even the point of that? But, you know, what kind of friendship is this when the friend you have known for years doesn't think they can trust you with information about their man? Because that's what this is. It's a lack. It's a lack of trust. Like that's that's basically what it is. We're, I feel like we're reverting back to the summer with Trina being a talk to, where Joss wouldn't tell her anything about Dex at all, and that is the fault of the writers. That's the fault of the of the regular writing team because the five core writers were like coming in, kind of sort of trying to address that moment where we said that you know Trina was a talk to all the time, but we're back to what we were at before, because you know I don't understand. Like I really I really don't understand because. This took me back to how upset Trina was at Pentonville when she talked to Spencer about lying to her. Because why can't she get this level of frustration to Joss? Like, why can't she give that? Because Joss is not being truthful. Dex is gone. But what does it matter at this point if Joss doesn't tell her anything? Like, like you know, Joss doesn't, doesn't tell her any of this stuff at all. So, like, with Dex not being around, like, it's it, to me, it's honestly a moment where she should have told the truth. Like with Dex being with with him being gone, she should have actually told. She should have actually opened up and told the truth. But the thing is, if Joss tells Trina the truth, then she also has to tell. She also has to tell Trina that she was also in on the plan to send Sunny to prison, which would make Trina look at her in a different way. Like she would look at her differently, and that's the fact of it. But you know, Trina, being the smart cookie that she is, helps Joss figure out that she can try and tr figure out where Dex is by figure like tracing cell phones and whatnot. But when they looked over at Spinelli, I thought, oh no, not this Trina Drew stuff again. I do not want to repeat Nancy Drew flub storyline because with the Jackal, he was useless during Trina's trial. But all of a sudden, he's going to be of use to Joss. Okay, sure, whatever. Which also tells me that you know, Joss doesn't really know anything about her man because she can't find a single breadcrumb, breadcrumb to track him down. 
Maybe if she knew more about him, she'd be able to find the hidden message in his letter or even the dog tags. I don't know. But anywho, I was beyond relieved when Trina dipped, but not before delivering some parting words of encouragement. You'll find Dex, and when you do, hold on to him. Like, I was like, well, this is exactly what I said Trina was going to do, and she did it. This is what she did. But, you know, when she left, and she's, you know, she's basically like, I'm not helping you find Dex, and I'm glad she's not, because I'm like, sorry, not sorry. Don't waste my girl's time on this, please, and thank you. But when Joss walked over to Spinelli, he said, my condolences is about Spencer. I was irritated about that, too. And not only that, like, it, what, what made me even more irritated about them even having Spinelli say that to her was the fact that Joss's reaction was so minimal. Like, it was a, a reaction like, oh, yeah, very sad. Now, can you help me find my man? Like, that's how, like, that was what I got from it. It was like, oh, yeah, Spencer's dead? Oh, thanks. Um, so, anyway, can you help me trace the phone? Like, you know? But I know that, like, I know people feel some type of way that we were bothered by Spinelli doing this. But that's because, like you said, Keela, Trina was in the bar, too. And everybody says, oh, well, Spinelli doesn't know Trina. Da, 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 blah, 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 blah. Excuse me. He literally sat across from her and Joss at Kelly's when they were talking about going to the high sider and they were asking him for help on trying to figure out where Esme got the phone from. So he has met Trina. He knows her. And not only that, but this little Snoopy Snoop knows everything about the goings on in Port Charles. So you can't tell me he doesn't know that Spencer and Trina were together or were, were, were a couple. He knows they were a couple. He knows this. So I don't want to hear it. So he could have well, he could have marched his little self over there and spoken and said, My condolences, Trina. Like he could have he could have said something to her, but they don't have her get acknowledged because once again, it's people who are not acknowledging Trina's grief because her grief doesn't matter in public spaces. Her grief matters in private. That's what her grief matters. Like I'm thinking about that right now. Her grief matters in private when she talks to her parents and when she talks to Ava. But in public, when people see her, it's just like, eh. That is so true. And this happened after they left the gallery last Monday. And they held off on this scene until now. Then it goes to what Trina said. If I dare say if I'm not okay, what would people's reactions be? Mm -hmm. And the reaction is, well, let me talk about my not-dead boyfriend. Because that's more important than your problems and your mm -hmm. grief and your pain and your anguish. That is exactly what happened. And I wish these two scenes we're married together. So we saw this last week. I could stomach it a bit more and I could appreciate the eight minutes I got on Monday that could really add some gravitas and complexities to Trina's grief that even my best friend doesn't have time for my pain and my grief. If I say that I'm not okay, I'm not fine, and I have no joy in anything, then it's all about her pain and her loss, which is not even on the same level as mine. So I just wish this show, if they had some guts in terms of not being so agenda-driven, that they could have told that story, but there's a refusal to do so. And it's clear as day, they use this scene as a softening of the blow of like, we're not really getting into the nitty gritty as to why Dex disappeared, because technically it hasn't happened yet. But see how Trina's being encouraging for her best friend to fight for her love and make sure she holds on to it. That was the lasting impression. But deep down, I can smell an agenda a mile away. And it's very tacky for this show mm -hmm. to do dual storylines at the same time when they don't even measure in terms of the weight of it all. Because Trina's pain is way more important and visceral than Joss's boyfriend that took a leave by choice. And they're and when you when when you were equating the doves with you know equating the dog tags with the doves, 
I thought about that too because when when you know when he left the dog tag behind, I was like, I know you fucking lying. Like when she found the dog tags, like that's exactly what I thought. I was like, I know we're not doing this, but like like I said before, people always say like they always say to us like, why do you compare the you know the Jex versus you know Jex and Sprina? Like why is this a comparison? And then I have to go back and say it's not us. We're not doing it. It's the writers. I'm not even talking about the actors. It's the writers who are doing this. The writers write this stuff. The actors are just acting it out. They're acting out what they are given. And when the writers decide to do a dual grief story, and I use the term loosely for where Joss is concerned, because there is no grief at all. There's none to be had. Sonny told her that Dex is alive. I don't know. Like Now, I know that she hates Sonny's guts, but she should know better that Sonny didn't kill Dex. If Sonny killed Dex, I think he probably would have told her that he did. Like, I don't, I, I, I think she can tell when Sonny is actually telling the truth. She's known this man for a long time. So for her to actually be like, he says he didn't do anything, but I don't believe him. And then Carly has to convince her he didn't do anything. Like, I don't think he, he did not kill Dex, blah, 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 blah. He just left. But they have her, they have her acting so upset about this like you know like it's the same thing as with spencer when it's at, when it is absolutely not because like you know like you said trina watched her the love of her life go off a ship she watched him go overboard so that's traumatizing and so it's a very lazy thing for chris and dan and egregious thing by the way too to do these these dueling storylines because that's what it is like that's it's basically like it, it's it's kind of like it's like forcing you to pick like well who do we feel more who are we supposed to feel more sympathy for should we feel more sympathy for joss or should we feel more sympathy for trina but it's like okay trina's boyfriend like the like i said the love of her life is dead like she she can't go somewhere and look for him joss can go and track her boyfriend down she can go find him trina doesn't have that option but they want to put these two storylines at the same time which doesn't make a bit of sense and to me, that just goes to show that they don't have any imagination. Chris and Dan have no imagination when it comes to what kind of storylines they want to create. Because if you think about it, if you think about it, a lot of the storylines that they've done that are that are with you know with Sprina, they intersect with the with you know with uh, you know the Joss and Dex like in some way, shape, or form. But because now it's like, oh, Spencer is you know Spencer's gone. And that this the 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 person that was a part of the storyline that was creating like this conflict, and I use the term loosely on that you know on that front is because like I'm talking about like how we spent months and months and months watching the you know watching Joss and Dex and Spencer and Trina like go back and forth because we were watching like you know Dex and, and Spencer bump heads all the time, but that is no longer a, that's no longer a thing. You know what I mean? Like it's no longer a thing. So it's basically like okay, well. Joss and Dex's conflict is, is essentially done. And like, you know, Spencer and Tria, they don't, they're, you know, because Spencer's not here, there's no fighting between him and Dex. So it's like, well, what can we do right now with Joss and Dex? Because their storyline's essentially kind of sort of done too. So then it's like, oh, hey, let's have him leave town and basically do the same thing we're doing with Trina right now. They're, leave them both boyfriendless. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't understand, like, and like I said, it just goes to the fact that they don't have an imagination. The fact that they feel like they need to do the same thing for both couples when they are two different couples. They're both, both can be great on their own. They can both have their own storyline. So it's like this, like this, this storyline that they have with Joss and Dex right now 
should not be happening like it is right now while we're while we're watching Trina go through her grief over Spencer. And that's what I have a big problem with is that they decided let's do this dueling grief story. And like I said, I use the term grief loosely because her man is alive. He's literally in a safe house somewhere. I'm sure she's probably going to find him by the end of the week or maybe the week after next. She'll find him. She's going to find him soon. Yeah. I just think that it's like a weird competition going Mm -hmm. on in the writer's room Mm -hmm. and we're seeing it play out on screen and it's like an agenda that's really not cool. And you see the episode in balance and the time for Trina's character as of late and it's kind of taking a dip since the union writers have returned so they can finish Mm -hmm. their damage before heading out the door and she had more time and she had more space to have POV with the five core writers which is saying a lot so hopefully when Patrick takes the reins like he's able to reallocate that time to Trina accordingly and never do this dual grief dual adventures dual anything ever again because couples can coexist they can do their own thing and they can thrive and they can shine and they can have their own identities and they can have their own lane they can succeed in and it's been very obvious for a very long time that they were trying to elevate one ship over the other and it failed repeatedly and is going to fail again and it's no fault of the people that put in the work in front of the camera mm-hmm. but it's the people that deliberately write this stuff to tell you that oh you should feel this way mm-hmm. this one matters a bit more than what Trina's going through and I'm tired of it it's really tedious at this point and it's sad that we kind of called it on last week's show like prepare mm-hmm. yourself like Monday it'll be a good day Wednesday bullshit and sure enough that's exactly what it was and I'm just kind of tired of this competition that shouldn't be multiple couples can coexist and succeed on this show there is no need to have a pissing contest over it Mm -hmm. but I digress as we get to Friday's GH so Chaplain Cyrus is trying to get some information out of this arms dealer at Pentonville at the library and he had his service offering words of encouragement I did love the banter on Thursday of Dante saying, are you even ordained to be a chaplain? Like, no, no, I'm in, I'm ordained in name only. I'm working on that, by the way. I'll get my license online by the end of the week, Dante. Leave me alone, okay? My ministries are legit to a point. So Cyrus is offering the word and it's just funny. I love Jeff Cooper. He's just playing into this perfectly. So as he's trying to get this dude to confess, drop a name, release your burdens, let yourself be free. Let me be your ear. Let me be your guide. Let me be your hope. Let me be your strength. Heather Weber shows up. Last week on this show, (laughs) I specifically said that if we can go one week without mentioning Esme, I'll be good. I can handle it. I don't need to talk about her. I don't need to hear about her. I don't want to think about her. I don't want to know about her. I want to forget about her. I looked at the breakdown writer for Friday's GH and it was none other than Suzanne fucking Flynn. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? Here comes bullshittery. And Jasmine warned me and I was pre-warned earlier about what was going to happen, but I had to see it for myself. And I love Allie Mills. I do. But unfortunately... She's being used as a mouthpiece for the writers to express why Esme is a victim in death. 
because I think they're mad that their fave got the boot from GH. And on their way out the door, they want to be petty boots and they want to say, well, this is why she matters. This is why her character is still relevant on the canvas because she's a victim. So we had Heather go off on Cyrus, who was trying to get the goods on this arms dealer dude. And she says, you, you took away my daughter. You put her in danger by telling on her. And I'm like, Heather, no, he didn't. Cyrus didn't do anything wrong except offer prayer and offer a reading of the good book. And Esme says, I don't need that. And she walked away. Now, on this show, we have the receipts legit go in the archives about a month ago because Esme went to three known criminals, Cyrus, Ava, and her mom, asking for advice. In two cases, she presented amnesiac to Cyrus and Ava. To her mother alone, she presented crazy bitch. That's what she presented. Heather knows this. You tried to tell your kid, don't do this. Don't go after Spencer. Don't go after Trina. Run away. Lay low. Get your kid back at another time. Nicholas is going to take care of the baby. He's not going to put the baby in harm's way. Just regroup, refocus, and you need to take care of yourself. Run. But she opted to take her ass to Paris by knocking out Kevin, stealing Alexis's credit card, paying for a ticket, and flying her ass out to be a terror. That's what she opted to do. Cyrus did nothing. Like I said before, Esme was presenting amnesiac at the time. He did nothing wrong. And the fact that we have Suzanne Flynn and the scriptwriter coming together to make us think that we didn't see this less than a month ago. Uh-uh. Nuh-uh. No. I do not appreciate being gaslit because now it's insulting that Heather, every chance she gets, blames people for her daughter's death. Mm -hmm. When you yourself said, if you do this, you dumb bitch, you're going to die. And essentially, that's what the fuck happened. But on this show, oh, no, she's a victim. It's your fault. You did this. You did that. Yes, Heather is a mad woman. She's crazy. But in some ways, she's a voice for that writer's room that continues to say that Esme's a victim in death and I am sick of it. I am tired of it. I'm tired of you insulting our intelligence's viewers who sat back and literally watched what did not happen based on what you had her saying on TV on Friday. This did not happen. And once again, I have to defend a criminal. Cyrus ain't do that shit. Like I have to defend Ryan. Two people I should not be capping for, but for reasons I have to. I have to get on this mic and say Cyrus is innocent. Why should I say that? But in this case, I have to because you keep trying to put this woman on a pedestal when she doesn't deserve it. I'm sorry this character sucks. I'm sorry she's a Karen. I'm sorry she's problematic. I'm sorry she didn't work. I'm sorry she wasn't a part of a triangle that will never be that you try to make happen over the summer. I'm sorry she can't be the villain of the year for you guys or the decade. It's never going to be. And I like Avery as an actress, but uh -uh, I don't want you back here because it's a reminder of what this character is. A shit stain 
on this show and I'm sick and tired of these writers every single chance they get to say oh my god what happened to her was wrong it was Ryan's fault it was Cyrus's fault no it's her own fucking fault and by extension it's yours for propping her for this fucking long and derailing Sprina in the process for over two years they could have been so much further along as a couple but you decided to prop this bitch in life Mm -hmm. and in death yeah when I saw when I saw Frank's tweet about Allie Mills I was like Heather is on I was like why is Heather on like what is she on for so then when I was watching the episode and she rolls up into the library while Cyrus is trying to talk to Philip O'Neill and she starts going off and talking about you led my daughter to her death. All I thought was we can't go a week without hearing about Esme at all. And then I also was like, why in the world is Heather saying all this to this man? This man doesn't even know Heather or Esme. So why are we wasting dialogue for her to say this to a complete stranger? But when she said, you told Laura, the mayor, everything my daughter told you, and now she's dead. All I thought was, first of all, Esme barely told Cyrus anything. So what are we doing? Heather was the one who called Laura to come by Pittenville because she had info on Ace. She told Laura that Esme came to see her. She told Laura that Esme got her memory back. She told Laura that Esme was going to go after Spencer and Trina. Talking about Esme came to her because she realized she was the only one she could trust. I said, okay, stool pigeon. Heather sang like a canary and told Laura everything. She told Laura everything about Esme. And Laura even asked her, because I rewatched those clips. Laura even asked Heather why she would put her daughter at risk by revealing her secret when she knows that she's the mayor. And she's talking about, to Cyrus, my daughter died because he wouldn't help her and she will not have died in vain. I said, what? When are we going to acknowledge that Esme was no victim? Like you said, Keela, she is the one who did all of this. She hopped on a plane to Paris to track down Spencer and Trina. Everything she did was premeditated. She went there to kill them. That's how she died. It's not Cyrus's fault. And I'm the same way as you. I'm sick of these scripts trying to make her a victim because it's honestly really, really tiresome. Like it just is. Like they keep finding ways for somebody, some way, somehow to mention her. And it's just getting on my nerves because they will not let her take accountability for anything. Like it's like even in death, she cannot be held accountable for her actions. It's like, yeah, she died, but tell the people how she died and why she died. All they keep doing is have other people be blamed for it. Like other people are at fault for Esme's decisions. And I don't like that. Like every single thing that Esme, that Esme did was done on her own. Like when, when she went to go see Heather and she talked to Heather about Spencer and Trina, she literally looks at Heather and then Heather is talking to her. And she gets up from the table and she gives Heather that look and then she walks away and Heather stands up and says, don't do it. Don't do it, Esme. Like, and what did she do? She did it. She, like I said, she, she planned every single thing that she did. She made all of these choices. She could have kept her stake behind in Port Charles and waited for her son to come back to her. Or she could have done like Heather told her and ran for it and gotten her son at a later date. But no, she was on a vengeance tour and she fucked around and found out and she got her ass tossed overboard in Paris. So that's where, that's where we are. And I am so overhearing about it. Like, I hope that I hope that this week we're not going to be hearing about her anymore. But the, like it's Chris and Dan, so they'll probably find a way to throw her in. Just in passing. 
Mm-hmm. They'll, f- they'll find a way to do it. I'm just over it. I had a simple request, and Chaplain Cyrus is my child. I cannot make that happen. My apologies. <laughs> They're going to bring up Esme, and there's nothing I can do about it. Pray about it. I'm like, well, I'll try. I'm going to pray again. Do not mention this woman this week. I cannot take it. But knowing the show, they will find a way. But when I saw Suzanne Flynn's name pop up, great. And also to the scriptwriter, Kate Hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You wrote the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So I got beef with you, too. Stop agitating me with this shit because I'm tired of this Esme propping in death. But we take a deep breath. This too shall pass. I'll be okay. We'll be okay. Mm-hmm. If we don't hear this name for the next week, I'll doubt it, but we're going to try to move forward. As we get to sprint of speculations for the week ahead. So I will say this straight away. There is a possibility that we will be going on a mini spring break next week. If Trina does not appear in the next five episodes of GH. She is not in any of the spoilers for this upcoming week. Does not mean that she's not on, but the odds are pretty slim that she's on this week. Gotta stay ready, so you gotta get ready. But it's not encouraging. But for Monday's GH, which is today, if you care, (laughs) Curtis encourages Drew. Is he gonna encourage him to leave Nina alone? Like, I mean, really? Because he, because Curtis is Nina's friend, so and Drew knows this, right? Doesn't Drew know that he's Nina's friend? I, I mean, what is he? What, what can he possibly be encouraging him to do? Because the thing is, honestly, honestly, for me, as far as Drew is concerned, nothing anybody says to that man matters because he's on his vengeance tour with Nina. So nothing. There, what, what positive words is Curtis gonna give that man? What can he possibly say? Chin up. It's going to be all right. I don't care, Jasmine. I don't care. I don't care either. He's going to say, I don't, I don't really care. It's interesting that Curtis hasn't talked to Nina. Mm-hmm. His, his best friend. friend. Yes. It's very curious how that has been forgotten. She rushed to the hospital after he got shot and he hasn't even dealt with her since. But we have the alleged historian that's supposed to know about friendships and connections on this show. And that connection has been been completely forgotten about. But yeah, that is the only spoiler of note for this week. Nothing else stands out at all. If Trina magically appears, I'm thrilled. If not, we going on break, to quote Bernie Mac. We (laughs) go on break, we going on break. (laughs) We knew that would happen at some point. Possibly. It was a possibility. I hate it, but if there ain't nothing to talk about, this show's deep enough now into year two that I can dig in the archives and I can say, hey guys, listen to this throwback episode of the sessions when <laughs> things used to be good. <laughs> when when Spencer was alive this time right? last year. Hey, let's go back in the vault. In fact, it might be a good test to find out when things started to fall off a cliff. Ugh. The first warning signs that were in your face and we didn't see it at the time. Hmm. It's a good retrospective. It could be next week, but we'll see about that as we now get to our Sprina song picks of the week. I promise my picks are less depressing than the last couple of weeks. But Jasmine, you go first with your picks for the week. Oh, no, mine are depressing. 
Oh no! Oh I got, no! I got two songs, and I actually picked the. I actually picked one that was used by Lemon in an edit that she made. Um, "Dancing with Your Ghost" by Sasha Alex Sloan, and the key lyrics are "Yelling at the sky, screaming at the world, baby, why'd you go away? I'm still your girl, holding on too tight, head up in the clouds. Heaven only knows where you are now." How do I love? How do I love again? How do I trust? How do I trust again? I stay up all night, tell myself I'm all right. Baby, you're just harder to see than most. I put the record on. Wait till I hear our song. Every night I'm dancing with your ghost. Every night I'm dancing with your ghost. Never got the chance to say a last goodbye. I gotta move on, but it hurts to try. How do I love? How do I love again? How do I trust? How do I trust again? I stay up all night, tell myself I'm all right. Baby, you're just harder to see than most. I put the record on, wait till I hear our song, every night I'm dancing with your ghost, every night I'm dancing with your ghost. And the second song I picked was Ghost by Justin Bieber. Key lyrics are, young blood thinks there's always tomorrow. I miss your touch on nights when I'm hollow. I know you crossed a bridge that I can't follow. Since the love that you left is all that I get, I want you to know that if I can't be close to you, I'll settle for the ghost of you. I miss you more than life, more than life. And if you can't be next to me, your memory is ecstasy. I miss you more than life. I miss you more than life. Young blood thinks there's always tomorrow. I need more time, but time can't be borrowed. I'd leave it all behind if I could follow. Since the love that you left is all that I get, I want you to know that if I can't be close to you, I'll settle for the ghost of you. I miss you more than life. And if you can't be next to me, your memory is ecstasy. I miss you more than life. I miss you more than life. Those are my picks. All right. Depressing, but fitting (laughs) as we still cope through week four of our Spencer bereavement. My songs are a little depressing, but somewhat hopeful for the future. So I got three songs on top this week. Two so-so depressing songs and one hopeful song. So my first song immediately popped in my head after watching Trina's scenes on Monday about how she talked about going through the motions, walking around like a zombie in light of Spencer's passing, that she doesn't feel much of anything right now. And I am picking a song from one of my favorite Buffy episodes ever, Once More with Feeling. Uh-huh. And, and do you know which song it could possibly be, Jasmine? I do not. I cannot remember. But I know that episode. I just can't remember what song it would be. All right. It is the overture and going through the motions. Okay. All right. Key lyrics include, Every single night, the same arrangement. I go out and fight the fight. Still, I always feel this strange estrangement. That is a tongue twister, y'all. For real. <laughs> Nothing here is real. Nothing here is right. I've been making shows of trading blows, just hoping no one knows that I've been going through the motions, walking through the part. Nothing seems to penetrate my heart. I was always brave and kind of righteous, and now I find I'm wavering. Crawl out of your grave. You'll find this fight just doesn't mean a thing. She ain't got that swing. Thanks for noticing. She is pretty well with fiends from hell, but lately we can tell that she's going through the motions, going through the motions, faking it somehow. She's not even half the girl she ow when she beats someone up. Will I stay this way forever? Sleepwalk through my life's endeavor. How can I repay whatever? I don't want to be going through the motions, losing all my drive. I can't even see if this is really me. And I just want to be alive. Very fitting for Trina, Carisha, Buffy Robinson. Mm -hmm. My next song is a song that I listened to on the radio on Monday. And I said, okay, I'm all in. I love this song. 
it was a part of the Stranger Things season four soundtrack a couple of years ago. I love the stripped down arrangement. And it is a Sprina song from a couple of years ago through and through. It fit them perfectly. And even now they are legit worlds apart on their separate ways by Journey, a classic 80s power ballad that is still fresh and relevant today. Key lyrics include, here we stand, worlds apart, hearts broken in two, two, two. Sleepless nights, losing ground, I'm reaching for you, you, you. Feeling that it's gone, can't change your mind. We can't go on to survive the tide. Love divides. Someday love will find you. Break those chains that bind you. One night will remind you how we touched and went our separate ways. If he ever hurts you, true love won't desert you. You know I still love you, though we touched and went our separate ways. Troubled times, caught between confusion and pain, pain, pain. Distant eyes, promises we made were in vain, in vain, in vain. If you must go, I wish you luck. You'll never walk alone. Take care, my love. Miss you, love. Oh, someday love will find you. Break those chains that bind you. One night will remind you. If he ever hurts you, true love won't desert you. You know I still love you. I still love you, girl. I really love you, girl. If he ever hurts you, true love won't desert you. No, no. And my final song pick is something that kind of popped in my head because I kind of loved how the sun was shining on Trina at Charlie's Pub. I like kind of like that glow that she had. And this song immediately popped in my head. It is a classic mid-2000s pop song by the one and only Natasha Bedingfield entitled Pocket Full of Sunshine. Mm-hmm. I love, love, love this song and the album. So key lyrics include, I got a pocket, got a pocket full of sunshine. I got a love and I know that it's all mine. Do what you want, but you're never going to break me. Sticks and stones are never going to shake me. Take me away, a secret place, a sweet escape. Take me away. Take me away to better days. Take me away, a hiding place. I got a pocket, got a pocket full of sunshine. I got a love and I know that it's all mine. Do what you want, but you're never going to break me. Sticks and stones are never going to shake me. I got a pocket, got a pocket full of sunshine. I got a love and I know that it's all mine. Wishes you could, but you ain't going to own me. Do anything you can't control me. Oh, oh no. Take me away, a secret place, a sweet escape. Take me away, take me away to better days. Take me away, a hiding place. There's a place that I go that nobody knows where the rivers flow and I call it home. And there's no more lies in the darkness. There's light and nobody cries. There's only butterflies. Take me away, a secret place, a sweet escape. Take me away to better days. Take me away, a hiding place. Take me away, a secret place, a sweet escape. Take me away. And the lyrics repeat itself. The sun is on my side and it, and it takes me for a ride. I smile up to the sky. I know I'll be all right. So that is for Trina. Things will be all right. Pocket full of sunshine. Find your secret place. Find that sweet escape. Find your way through this because things will get better in time. And these are the song picks of the week. A bit more hopeful, a little less depressing, but we're trying to make it through as we enter week five of Spencer Bereavement next week. And with that, that's a wrap for this week's Brina Sessions right here on WST. I hope that you enjoyed it. We'll be back potentially, maybe, possibly next week or the week after or 
whenever Trina reappears. That's where we are right now. But because we're so deep in the archives, I can drop classic episodes on the timeline for you to listen to to remember the good old days or remind yourself when shit was about to take a swerve but jasmine thank you for always joining me despite not being 100 percent. you sold your throat <laughs> nonetheless today it is a pleasure as always and while i know we have some episodes that people can go through to you know keep them fed while we wait for you know another appearance from trina I was going through what the episodes look like that time frame and I was looking at lemon good old lemons page and I was like hmm I was like um February 20th through February 25th or or 26th whatever what have you like if you're gonna if you're gonna look at that I was like um things were kind of falling apart like Spencer and Trina had their first kiss I was wonderful lovely and all that stuff yeah uh, the the demon spawn was born um and spencer found out about the you know all the riot stuff and had a panic attack so not good not good stuff <laughs> um and then trina dealing with the stuff of the paternity results and or not the results but like you know curtis stopping by curtis stopping by her dorm so it wasn't wasn't too good of a week during that time right they were going through some, they were going through some stuff actually during that week so um yeah gotta find something good for everybody to listen to <laughs> well jazz we have to maintain the integrity of this show <laughs> yes it was do. what it was but thankfully if we don't do an actual show next week that is actually the premiere of your twin of my nemesis my friend of me <laughs> tiffany's first ever appearance on the sessions the first person to ever break me so if we gotta go there we got to go there and mm-hmm. I'm going to laugh my ass off again because that was a time. Mm-hmm. I agree. Definitely. So guys, just stay alert. We'll be your eyes and ears this week. If Trina appears on screen, we got a fresh sessions. If not, we're going back in the archives mm-hmm. to a time when it was kind of rough in these streets. It was starting, but Hey, it was still a spring a week and, we have material at the time, but you can kind of tell March is going to be a monster. Just saying. Mm-hmm. So until potentially next week or next time, but don't worry, we will be back. You can bet your ass on that because Trina voice matters. And in all honesty, during this downtime, it might be a blessing that she's not going to be butchered by bullshit writing. Mm-hmm. So we'll take the reprieve when we can get it. But of course, in a perfect world, we want our voice to be there, present in storylines every single week. And hopefully we get back to that very soon with Patrick Mulcahy in charge of the writing and Elizabeth Corte doing whatever she needs to do to fall in line. Because, hey, it's about damn time. Leave your biases at home. So for myself and for Jasmine, maybe we'll be back next week. <laughs> maybe not. We'll see about it. But anyway, you'll get a retro show just in case you hear us somehow, some way. But we'll be back, trust and believe. But until next time, in the words of the great Trina Carisha Buffy Robinson, goodbye, room. Thank you. Goodbye, room. Thank you. And also, somehow, some way. Our new ending, guys. <laughs> Keep hope alive. Hold on to hope. Hold on that cooking sherry. Because <laughs> Spencer is somewhere on the English Channel. At a French nunnery, <laughs> getting sponge baths by horny nuns. But I'll digress on all of that until next time. <laughs> Take care, guys. I love you all.